We are proceeding with our study in the book of Romans. Today we'll be looking at the second half of Romans chapter 6. And this is a continuation of the theme from last week. Paul is carrying through his thought pattern, teaching, exhortation of what it looks like to be someone who is servant of sin versus someone who is servant of righteousness. So we'll take a look at what the Word of God has to say to us today. If you are able, let us please rise for the reading of God's Word. Romans chapter 16. I mean, chapter 6, beginning in verse 15, all the way through the end. The inerrant word of God reads as follows. What then? Are we to sin because we are not under law but under grace? By no means. Do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one whom you obey, either of sin, which leads to death, or of obedience which leads to righteousness but thanks be to god that you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed and having been set free from sin have become slaves of righteousness i'm speaking in human terms because of your natural limitations for just as you once presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness leading to more lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves to righteousness, leading to sanctification. For when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. But what fruit were you getting at that time from the things which you are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. But now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the fruit you get leads to sanctification and its end eternal life for the wages of sin is death but the free gift of god is eternal life in christ jesus our lord this is the word of the lord let us pray heavenly father thank you for your faithfulness has been shown to us once again thank you lord for the clarity of your word as we are exhorted to pursue holiness to pursue sanctification while being reminded that your Holy Spirit convicts us of sin in order not to remain in it. May we become servants of righteousness, Lord, looking to our King Jesus. And it is in his mighty name that we pray. Amen. You may be seated. So as a continuation from last week, I have, have titled the uh, title of this sermon, Servant of Sin versus Servant of Righteousness, Part 2. Uh, my apologies to our uh, online team for not putting Part 1 in the title last time. I don't know if you can update that or not. That way anybody looking uh, through this can uh, put two and two together. Okay, so the first comment I'd like to make, it's actually from verse 19, which speaks about the scripture, the message that Paul is giving us he is telling us that he's speaking to us in human terms because of our natural limitations I like to start there this is a way in which we see that God condescends himself God being almighty being the creator of all that exists being holy 
in his very character and nature, not being created, he has to condescend himself in order for us to understand him. Otherwise, it would be unreachable for us to know anything about him. Oftentimes, this is referred to as an anthropomorphism. God is speaking to us sort of like baby talk so that we can understand what he says. He has to speak to us in human terms. We are limited. We have a fallen nature. Our intellect may fail us. Therefore, we should be thankful that God has reached down to us. God has come down to us so that we may make sense and we may understand even if a fraction of God's mind, of God's character. And more importantly, this is a reminder that God Almighty at one point left His throne in the person of Christ and made Himself a little bit lower than the angels, as the scripture says, in order to redeem us. That's the humiliation, the condensation of God Almighty entering His own creation to be humiliated, to be sped upon, to be mocked in order for Him to save His people. Let us keep that in mind as we read this passage. God is having mercy on us, describing this text, the Apostle Paul being inspired by the Holy Spirit, so that we may understand. Last time we talked about how a believer in Christ is united with Christ and has the promise of the resurrection. We saw that the old self, if Paul says, if you have been united with Christ, the old self has died. The old man is dead. And therefore, sin has no longer dominion over a follower of Christ. Someone who is a believer in Christ may fall and may sin. But that is not the lifestyle that we live. It has no longer dominion in our lives. And we spoke about how the language used in this passage, in specifically in the whole chapter 6 of Romans, this is kingdom language. There are two divided kingdoms. Paul personifies sin as an evil, tyrannical dictator to which people are enslaved to. Two divided kingdoms. You either serve King Satan or either you serve King Jesus. You are either a slave of sin or a slave of Christ. And there is no way that you can be servants of both. Jesus illustrates that when he speaks to us in Matthew 6, 24. He says the following. No one can serve two masters for either he will hate the one and love the other. Or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money, right? And this can be applied to whatever particular sin that ensnares us. We cannot serve God and serve sin. We cannot be in dominion of both. We are either or. There's no neutrality. Now, those that serve sin are under King Satan and are either not even aware that that's the kingdom they belong to, as 2 Timothy 2.25 says, right, that they're ensnared. It's, it's a snare. It's like an animal being trapped. And they don't even know that they're trapped. 
right? Or they are convinced that serving sin, serving King Satan as their loving master, and that the way they think, the way they act, their worldview, that that is the best and correct way to live, right? They either don't know, or they know it, and they're proud of it, and they want you to join them in serving sin. Let me mention two things about that. First, serving sin, being under the tyrannical rule of sin, serving Satan, is likened to a tyrannical, evil dictator, which we have some of those regimes operating this very day, unfortunately. For instance, I've seen a few documentaries in North Korea and how people escape that dictatorship. And they literally risk their lives if they, if they get caught. Now, mind you, it is surprising to find out that a large portion of that population, they look at their dictator as literally a godlike figure. And they have allegiance to their leader. They believe that the dictator has their best interest at hand. And that the whole world is against them and against their king. And if anybody mentions that to them, they will tell on you to the authorities and you could be put in jail or you could be killed for being a defector. Now, they are ensnared to what they think is a loving master. That is what being enslaved to sin can be like. You live miserably but still think that the lifestyle of sin is the best way to live. And if you are told otherwise, you defend your master, you defend the kingdom that you are serving, and you pledge even stronger allegiance to serving sin rather than to repent. Right? That's one observation. Secondly, it is often that when we read scripture, we see patterns, we see repetitions, we see exhortations and admonitions pointing us to the same concept. In this case of today's passage, is this repetitive? Is this something that Paul has told us? Not only in the book of Romans already, but elsewhere. Is Paul being repetitive? The answer is absolutely yes, he is. Paul is driving home the same exhortation he just gave us in the previous passage. God the Holy Spirit has inspired Paul and is being gracious to us, rehashing, if you will, so that we may wake up, so that we may be warned, that we may find quick application of his exhortations to stop being servants of sin and submit fully to the kingdom of Christ. So therefore, let us be warned. Let us not be deceived by our pride and think, well, I already heard this. Like, oh, that's okay. We kind of talked about this last week. You know, the book of Ephesians talks about this. Philippians talks about this. No, my friends. Rather, let us be humble and know that we need repetition, that we need reminder. Because the moment that we think we're okay and we no longer need to re rethink and re-examine the word of God, that is a sign that we are going astray. Scripture commands repetition so that we might not forget. Might not forget what? Let us look at Deuteronomy chapter 8, verses 11 through 14. It says, Take care 
lest you forget the Lord your God by not keeping his commandments and his rules and his statutes, which I command you today, lest when you have eaten and are full and have built good houses and live in them, and when your herds and flocks multiply and your silver and gold is multiplied and all that you have is multiplied, then your heart will be lifted up and you forget the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. Are you a professing Christian today? And then, are you not worried about what you will eat tomorrow? I could safely say maybe none of us are worried about that. That's a blessing. Thanks be to God. Are you not worried about being physically harmed, persecuted this week coming up. By and large, do we live a relatively comfort comfortable life, which compared to the rest of the world, I would dare to say that all of us have that relatively comfortable life. We are free to pursue our interests, career growth, our businesses, our hobbies, etc. Scripture warns us that that's the perfect recipe for our fallen minds and hearts to sort of go on cruise control, become puffed up, become indifferent towards the things of God. And that being in that state, being happy and fulfilled with the things that this world has to offer, which in many times may be blessings. It's a blessing that we have a home, that we have a career, that we can pursue the things that make us happy in this world but yet that's a danger because then we are warned that's when we will be most vulnerable to forgetting the Lord and how do we forget him it says there in Deuteronomy by not keeping his commandments and rather being in continual sin so then is that us this morning is that me was this me this week that I'm living such a comfortable life then my heart becomes puffed up, and I'm thinking, ah, oh, I got it made. I have nothing to worry about. And therefore, my wicked heart says, let me forget the Lord. To some extent or the other, I would propose that all of us were there this week or even this morning. So let us ponder these things so that the Lord may give us a heart of obedience and attention to his word as we explore the passage this morning. So then what is Paul's main point this, in, in this passage that we're studying today? This is the continuation of last time, right? Paul's main point is, stop obeying your old master, which is sin, which leads to death, and start obeying your new master, Jesus. Now, we're going to talk about this, but don't make the mistake of thinking, okay, if I obey, then I'm going to earn, no, no, you're not going to earn anything. If you obey, it's a sign that you are indeed a child of God. You cannot earn it. More of that in a little bit. So the first concept we're going to see in the scripture is, if God has forgiven and will forgive, then what? What happens then? Do we have a pass? Do we get a cheat pass? Let's take a look at verse 15. What then? Are we to sin because we are not under law but under grace? By no means. 
repetition. Paul has already asked this very question in Romans 6, verse 1, at the beginning of this chapter, in which he says, What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we, who died to sin, still live in it? We spoke about this in length last week. And the main idea is straightforward. One who has been fully forgiven will not keep on transgressing, but rather will obey out of gratitude and in submission to the Lordship of Christ. One of the examples I've given in the past is if as a loving husband or a loving wife, you offend your spouse and your spouse shows you grace and forgives you. How foolish would it be to say, well, I'm going to give an opportunity to my wife or to my husband to be gracious to me, so I'm going to offend them again. Would that work out? No, that's foolish. How much more for the people of God who would think, well, I'm forgiven. God will forgive me, so let us go and sin away. That grace may abound. May it never be, Paul says. So then we don't have an obligation to keep the law in order to earn anything because that will bring us condemnation. We can't do it. Therefore, we're under grace. That's why. That's why. Not so that we go and sin away that grace may abound. We are not obligated then to keep the law in order to make it into the king's palace, into the kingdom of Jesus. King Jesus has already had compassion on us by bringing us to his home, to his palace, because he is good, he is faithful to fulfill his promises. He has shown us undeserved kindness. The exhortation of Paul in that point is now act like it. You are citizens of heaven. You are citizens of the kingdom of God. Exercise your citizenship. Right? You are no longer citizens of darkness, of the lost world. You are ambassadors for Christ living in a foreign land. Now, exercise that citizenship that you have, which he tells us is the promise that sin will have no dominion over us. Although we may fall, we may fail, sin will have no dominion on us. Therefore, Paul said, God forbid that you may keep on sinning. No. The second main idea, which we'll spend the rest of our time in, is this. There is fruit of being slaves of sin, and there is fruit of being slaves of obedience. Meaning, something that we're going to be able to see, we're going to be able to touch, we're going to be able to perceive that each of those lifestyles have consequences. Romans 6.16 reads as follows. Do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves to the one whom you obey, either of sin, which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness? If you recall... This phrase, to present yourselves, this is language of worship, as in presenting a sacrifice to God. Paul is going to talk about that later in Romans chapter 12. Hopefully we'll get there by next summer. <laughs> I don't know. But we're going to see that, right? Presenting yourself, that's a admonition, that's a reminder that you are presenting yourself as an act of worship. So let's talk about this either slaves of sin or slaves of obedience. First, 
slaves of sin. Jesus tells us in John 8, chapter 8, verse 34, he says this, Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave of sin. The concept of a slave, a bondservant, has a different connotation to us than it may mean a lot of times in biblical language. What do I mean by that? Although there's always been the case of abusive slave owners, of robbing others of their dignity and making them slaves, that's always been the case throughout history. What we may oftentimes forget is that a bondservant many times in the New Testament is used as one who was in agreement with their master in order to serve them. And in return, they will receive shelter, care, food, etc. In that context, a slave delights in serving his master. Someone who obeys sin delights in sinning. See that? Servant, master. Servant, master. If we delight in sinning, then sin is our master. Right? Jesus said, make a practice of sin then sin is your master. You're a slave of it. Does this mean that the Christian doesn't sin? No. We need to remind ourselves that. We all sin. And we are told that when we sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. Right? What we are being told is that we don't make a lifestyle of sin. Sin is not how I live my lifestyle. Sin is not what I do normally. And the exception is that maybe I abstain sometimes. No. It's the opposite. In my sanctification, by God's Holy Spirit strengthening me, I am progressing each time. And the exception is that sometimes I fall. See, that's the difference. Lifestyle of sin, practice of sin, versus being a saint who is working in the sanctification that the Holy Spirit has given us. So that sin, Paul is saying, leads to death. The lifestyle of sin. That's the rotten, bitter fruit. This is the outcome of lifestyle of sin. Death. Not only physical death, but ultimately spiritual death. So let us take a look at the next passage here from this, from this excerpt. It'll be verse 21 and the first half of verse 23. It says, But what fruit were you getting at that time from the things of which you are now ashamed for the end of those things is death for the wages of sin is death now I'll come back more fully to verse 23 in a second but here is what is tangible and visible things that come out of a lifestyle of sin let us take a look at Proverbs 5:22. the iniquities of the wicked and snare him and he is held fast in the courts of his sin a lifestyle of obedience to sin of constant sin are those things that cause harm to a person's own body own mind and ultimately their own soul what does that look like in our physical daily lives substance abuse sexual perversion, sexual, sexual promiscuity, 
fits of anger, self-gratification of whatever type, pride, etc. These things, Paul says, you should be ashamed of. If you are a saint, those are the former things you're engaged in, and that's something to be ashamed of. It is not something to be proud of that we are told nowadays. And ultimately, that brings destruction to a person. The end of that is death. The wages of sin is death. In other words, you are working for your slave master, sin. You're working for it. You're delightfully obeying sin. At the end of that period, whenever that may be, you're going to get a paycheck. And the paycheck says death. There you go. See that? Being slaves of sin ultimately brings death. Now, slaves of obedience. That's a contrast. Romans 6.16, the second part of it, it says, Or slaves of obedience, which leads to righteousness. Now, let us ask this. Why didn't Paul make a direct correlation in saying, in, in that same verse, either of sin, which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to life. Paul didn't say that. He says leads to righteousness. Let us consider that. This is an instance in which the language is deliberate in order to prove a point. How does one become righteous before God? Paul has gone through this already, right? Chapter 3, chapter 4, chapter 5. Paul has taught that the way we become right before God is by faith just as Abraham was justified by faith that's the way that we become righteous before God God looks at us as having the righteousness of Jesus when we trust in him by faith therefore being obedient to God's law is a confirmation our obedience is a confirmation that indeed we are being citizens of heaven exercising our rights as citizens of heaven showing that we are righteous it's a confirmation we have the righteousness of Christ we have a new self and therefore we obey the confirmation of our righteousness now why is it that we can obey why is it that we can exercise the righteousness that we've been given in order to obey God's commands. We often talk about how in our own merit, in our own effort, it is impossible. Believe me, I've tried to really be good, right? And even that thought has already made me sin because I'm thinking I could be righteous apart from the Holy Spirit empowering me to do so. But why is it that we can obey, that we can exercise our benefits as citizens of heaven? Let us look at verse 17, 18, and 23. Our answer is right there. It says, But thanks be to God that you, who were once slaves of sin, have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching which you were committed. And having been set free from sin, have become slaves of righteousness. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. So why can we obey? Why are we righteous? 
Why can we exercise obedience? The answer is that because it has been granted to us. Thanks be to God, Paul says. God has acted. God has had compassion on us. God has given us the righteousness of Christ so that we can be rescued from the kingdom of sin. That is the old Egypt, as Deuteronomy, we saw a little bit earlier, told us that we've been taken out of that environment and have been adopted into the kingdom of Christ. The fruit of that is that we are obedient slaves of righteousness. As it says in verse 22, But now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the fruit you get leads to sanctification. In its end, eternal life. So slaves of righteousness means that ultimately we are slaves of God, bondservants of God. And that we joyfully obey God as our only master. Now let's take another look at verse 23. There on the next slide. Note again the structure of the syntax here in verse 23. It says, the wages of sin is death. Right? That's something that we earn. And we don't have to work hard by it. Like, we already earned it. We are born sinners. We are sinners by nature and choice. There's not a sin that I've been presented with that I didn't enjoy falling into. I've already earned that. You have too. That's a done deal. That's everyone's default position. What we earned out of that is death. And then notice, it does not say the wages of keeping the law, the wages of being righteous, the wages of... No, it doesn't say that. It says, but the gift, the gift, again, thanks be to God, the gift, free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Any spiritual efforts and work we can do on our own, there's only one sure thing we can earn, the wages of sin. That's it. But thanks be to God, right? But the free gift of God is eternal life. Thanks be to God then that he has granted us faith. Thanks be to God that he has granted us the righteousness of Christ. Thanks be to God that he has granted us obedience. Thanks be to God that he has granted us the assurance that our obedience is the sign that we are partakers of the kingdom. And its ultimate end is eternal life. Thanks be to God. Recall I had mentioned in the last, uh, last couple of sermons that what Paul is focusing on in this portion of the book of Romans is sanctification. Remember? Well, here it is. The second part of verse 19 and second part of verse 22 tells us so. It says, So now that we are new creatures, that we are partakers of the kingdom, it says, Now present yourselves, present your members, rather, as slaves to righteousness, leading to sanctification. The fruit you get leads to sanctification and its end, eternal life. So then the application for us this morning is this. Or even maybe an exhortation for us. There's a heading check. There's a question that we ask ourselves. And is this. How am I doing in my sanctification? How am I doing in my sanctification? Okay? Let us review a little bit. 
the natural state of man is condemnation. Born, fallen. The first thing we teach our babies is not to disobey. Naturally, they disobey. Condemnation. Then after that, we are made aware of God's revelation. We are born with a conscience, and yet we suppress the truth of God. Paul talked about that in Romans 1, verse 18. But then we, come, we become aware of God's justification. The grace of God being offered to us to be justified. Condemnation, justification being offered. Once someone's become justified by faith in Christ, then that's where the life of a Christian begins. And that whole period until we die in this physical body, that's sanctification. That's what Paul is talking about. Sanctification. The battle with sin on a daily basis. The fact that we are alive in Christ and we are fighting sin. How are we doing with our sanctification? Are you fighting sin? Is there even a fight? Or have you given over and just wallow in sin? Red flag, my friends. If that's it, it is time to repent by the power of the Holy Spirit that you would fight against sin. That is our test today. How are you doing in your fight against sin? We are being exhorted by Paul to fight sin, to obey God. And this cannot be done in our own strength. It is impossible. You will fail. You, you're, the wages for that is going to be death. Can't do it. But if you are a Christian, we are assured that we have God's Holy Spirit within us. To stop being dominated by sin. It says sin is no longer your master. But Jesus is. Exercise your, your citizenship of the kingdom of God so that you can obey. Now, here's a warning for us again. Do not be fooled into thinking that you could work yourself into being justified. No. You must be justified first by faith, not by anything you've done, but by trusting in Christ. And that will be the beginning of your sanctification in fighting against sin for the rest of your life until we leave this body. And the sign is going to be that although you're, gonna, you're not going to be sinless, you will sin less. If you look back at your life of a Christian and nothing has changed, my friend, the Bible says, do not be deceived. If we cannot show fruit of our sanctification, we better go back to the previous step. I need to be justified because I'm not even saved. Please take heed of that exhortation, my brothers, my sisters, my friends. One last observation. Verse 17 in this passage. And there's a lot to say and preach upon here. So please, uh, if someone out there says, Oh, you didn't mention this. Uh, I probably was aware of it. But we need to uh, preach through Romans, right? And we want to do it in uh, less than four years. So forgive me for that. Okay, now. Verse 17 reads as follows. But thanks be to God that you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching which you were committed. God has shown us mercy. He has allowed a change of heart, a transformation of heart, in order that we have true obedience from the heart. Obedience 
starts in the heart. And that obedience needs to be according to something. What are we being obedient to? What is the standard that we are using to be obedient? Elsewhere, Paul says the following, 2 Timothy 1.13, it says, Follow the pattern of sound words that you have heard from me in the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. My friends, this is the importance of worldview. We are pointed to teaching. We are pointed to sound doctrine recorded in God's holy word. That is the standard by which we judge all things. Whenever we become confronted or we have a of our daily life and practice as Christians, our question should always be, what does the Bible say? God tells us who he is in scripture. He tells us who we are and what he demands of his creation. I don't care what kind of philosophy you have, what worldview you adhere to. If your thought pattern disagrees with the sound words, with the standard of teaching that the Bible tells us, my friend, you are wrong. Let me break that to you. You are wrong, especially on the things pertaining to life and death. If you disagree with God's word, you are wrong. Repent. I will read now from Psalm 119. It's about seven verses of that, which should be an encouragement and an exhortation for us to obey the standard, to obey the commands, because we cannot do it ourselves. I will read this, that we can meditate on it, and then I will pray for us. Psalm 119, starting in verse 9, reads, How can a young man keep his way pure? By guarding it according to your word. With my whole heart I seek you. Let me not wander from your commandments. I have stored up your word in my heart. That I may not sin against you. Blessed are you, O Lord. Teach me your statutes. With my lips I declare all the rules of your mouth. In the way your testimonies, in the way of your testimonies I delight as much as in all riches. I will meditate on your precepts and fix my eyes on your ways. I will delight in your statues. I will not forget your word. Let us pray. Oh, Heavenly Father, grant us a heart that keeps your word, that delights in your law. Thank you, Lord, that we are not bound to the law, to be cursed by it, by not able to, to keep it. But that we are bound by the new covenant of grace that you've given us so that we can obey you because we are your children. Let us delight, therefore, Lord, in your word, in obeying you, to be slaves of righteousness, to be slaves of Christ. Indeed, as a confirmation that we are partakers of your kingdom. And Lord, if we are not, especially if we are in the fence, so we know we're not part of your kingdom. Give those people a heart to repent, Lord, to know you, to acknowledge you, 
and to know that they don't need a little bit of help, but that they need a rescue from the condemnation of sin to be justified so that they can work on their sanctification. Lord, thank you for rescuing us from death into life by trusting in the perfect and finished work of Christ our Savior. It is in his name that we pray. Amen.